Good morning, church. Uh, good morning to those who are joining us live stream. In 1888, Roy Beam was appointed the Justice of the Peace in Pecos County, Texas. He was a saloon owner. He had a few rules. Number one, he did not allow appeals, didn't allow hung juries. And he chose his, uh, he chose his jurist from his favorite bar patrons. And a lot of times when he finds somebody, most cases were determined by fines, he would find out how much money you were carrying on you, and that was the fine. Once found a fellow who had, passed, who had died, and he was carrying concealed weapons when he died, which was against the law. So he had $40 on him, the corpse, so he fined him $20 for carrying concealed weapons and another $20 for court costs. It's just the way he operated. And there was an Irishman who had shot a, a Chinese laborer and killed him, and he went on trial for murder. Well, the saloon-slash-courthouse was surrounded by 200 Irishmen who threatened to lynch Roy Bean if he found him guilty. So he searched his law book, and he said, I can't find any law against shooting a Chinaman. Let him go. He was dismissed. Charged $10 for a divorce, $5 for a wedding, and at the end of every wedding ceremony, he said, May God have mercy on your soul. Sometimes judgments say more about the judge than they do the litigants, and probably true of Judge Roy Bean, also true of God. Now, we're talking today about God's great judgment, in-game judgment. If you're new to us, we've been in this sermon series through the month of May called In-Game, based on Revelation. There's only going to be four sermons, so there's more we're not saying about Revelation than we are. We're just hitting the highlights. But today, we're going to look at the judgment. And theologian Anthony Hokima writes, What is central on the day of judgment is not the destinies of individuals, but the glory of God. That's odd. What's he talking about? Not the destinies of individuals, but the glory of God. He's using glory in the sense of character. Jesus came and revealed God's glory. It means he revealed God's character, his nature. What is there about the judgment that we read about in the book of Revelation that reveals the glory or the character of God. And what does it reveal? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. There's probably a lot that's revealed there, but we're only going to look at, at three things this morning. We're doing our scripture work in Revelation chapter 20. Now, first of all, the judgment of God reveals the glory of his truthfulness. Reveals the glory of his truthfulness. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And John writes, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged. Now, what John describes here is something that's actually going to take place, and that's the final in judgment of God. People are going to stand before God in judgment. Not everybody believes that, but it's going to happen. There have been scoffers even since the first century. Peter writes, the apostle Peter writes, about those who said, hey, where's the second coming of Jesus that's being talked about and this judgment. They were already scoffing. But Peter writes to reassure his readers, this is going to happen, 2 Peter 3, 7. And by the same word, meaning the word of God's command, by the word of God's command, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Now, this is going to happen. Now, we're used, we're used in our society to seeing news reports, or reading them in the paper about university and college campuses sometimes where students are opposed to someone with a, with a different opinion of theirs coming and speaking on their campus, usually a conservative speaker. And so they, through threats and intimidation, they prevent that speaker from coming to the campus. That's why this generation has been called the snowflake generation. They don't want to hear somebody with a different point of view. So they shout them down. 
And they don't come. Been very effective at that. That's not going to happen with God's judgment. Uh, God can't be shouted down. He cannot be intimidated. He's not afraid of threats. He is going to have his final say. And Peter, the apostle, back to Peter, he uses the certainty of the judgment of God as motivation for godly and holy living. He writes this later on in the same chapter, 2 Peter 3.11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. The day of God here, meaning the judgment day. On Sunday, June 22, 2008, Casey Edwards was hanging out with his buddies at 2 a.m., it's 2 a.m. Sunday morning in Okeechobee, Florida, when he told them he was going to go swim across a 25-foot deep canal. His friends tried to talk him out of it, but he'd had a few beers and he wouldn't listen. They think he might have been impaired by alcohol. Maybe. About halfway through the swim, a 12-foot alligator approached Casey, chomped down on his arm, he struggled to get free, finally was able to swim away back to the shore, but the gator kept his arm. And they caught the gator, opened him up, had the arm inside. Casey later on said he never paid much attention to gators swimming in the canals of Okeechobee County. Really? You could practically walk across the county, the, you know, the canals on the back of 12-foot alligators. But regardless, here's the part that I liked about the story. When he was interviewed, Casey said, it's a very surreal feeling, feeling that you're about to die here and, you know, praying to God. I have to give all the credit to God. Well, I personally give some of the credit to the gator for helping Casey to find religion. Right? This may be a new church growth strategy here. Organize swim parties in canals in Okeechobee. Because anybody think he was that religious before this happened? I mean, was he going to spend all, this was 2 o'clock Sunday morning. Was he going to spend all Saturday night into the wee hours of Sunday morning drinking with his buddies and then come home, crawl into bed, and get up in time for the early service on Sunday morning? I don't think so. He was probably like, you know, like a lot of people. I mean, just kind of put those things off and don't think about that. He's 18 years old. He's in the Army. He's being all that he can be. Probably had the attitude, don't talk to me about God. Don't talk to me about church. And certainly don't talk to me about judgment. I got other things to do. Right now I'm going to swim across this canal. But when he came face to face with his mortality, everything changed. And the first thoughts in his mind, the first words out of his mouth were prayers for deliverance from God. I'm glad he's got a second chance, and I hope he makes the most of it. Because there's more to being ready for the judgment of God than saying a prayer right before you die. Peter said it's about godliness, holy living, and making peace with God. But right now, so what does the judgment reveal about God's character and glory? The truthfulness. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. All right, here's the second thing. The glory, of God, the glory of God's justice is revealed in his judgment. Again, Revelation 20, 12. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. There are two things that happen, two things that happen on God's judgment day. The first is there's a formal separation that takes place between the lost and the saved. Here on earth, we're all, we all commingle. Lost and saved people are all living together. But when Jesus returns and you have what some people call the rapture, what happens basically is God sends one band of angels out to pluck up the lost, and they're deposited on the left-hand side of God's throne of judgment, and then another band of angels goes and they pluck up the saved, and they're deposited over there on the right-hand side of God's throne of judgment. There's a separation that's made. By the way, the lost go first. I know you know that, right? But it happens so close together, they might as well be simultaneous. 
So there's a formal separation, and then God makes a proclamation, a formal proclamation of who's, who's lost and who's saved. And Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 25, 34. He says, to those who are saved, come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he turns to those who are lost, Matthew 25, 41, and he says, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which had been prepared for the devil and his angels. Formal separation, formal proclamation. Is this really necessary, though? Is it necessary? Wouldn't it have been possible for people to just die and go to whatever their, their eternal destiny was without a separation, without a proclamation at all? Just go there. Sure, that would have been possible. So apparently God, he's aiming at something else right here. Many people think it's summed up in the word vindication. Now, God gets a bad rap for, from people who either don't believe in him or don't like him. Uh, for a number of things, but maybe at the, the top two, top two criticism that God gets. Number one, unjust suffering. Unju I, can't, un I can't believe in God because there's so much suffering in this world and it's unfair and it's unjust. For instance, when things happen to children, you know, how could God allow that to happen? All-powerful, loving God. Let me give you one example. We could do hundreds. In his book, Tears of Rage, John Walsh, relates the case of his six-year-old son, Adam, who was kidnapped and murdered in 1981. John Walsh lives here in Vero Beach. Probably all familiar with this case. At the funeral, John's cousin, Mike, who's a minister, had the eulogy. And afterwards, Walsh asked his cousin, the minister, is this the benevolent God that we have worshipped our whole lives? Is this an all-powerful, gentle God who allowed this to happen? Tell me about that God, Mike. Explain to me how is it I'm supposed to deal with this. And he says in his book, and Mike didn't have any answers. And John Walsh struggles uh, with his faith in God for this reason. You know what? And I'm not being critical of John Walsh. We can all understand his tears of outrage. Who wouldn't struggle? But I suspect that God's outrage is even more acute than any human being's is. God's, God's sense of justice is not corrupted like ours is. And he feels this. Didn't Jesus say, don't, don't mess with these children? They have angels, and their angels always have the attention of the Heavenly Father. It'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you thrown out there into the water than you cause one of these little ones to stumble. And God's paying attention to that. But anyhow, there's that. And then a second thing that God is often demeaned about is hell. How could a loving God ever send anyone into eternal punishment? As if we've all lived lives that are worth, you know, we've just earned our spot in heaven. So what's going to happen in the judgment? The Bible says... Every person is going to be judged by God based upon what, we've, what they've done. Their works, their deeds, thoughts, and their words. Now, I know you know this, but let's get the biblical data before us. It's good to do that sometimes. I'll read a number of verses in quick succession. I don't necessarily think that you're going to take all these down. If you do want the references, just ask. You can request a manuscript on the Connect card in front of you, and you can have all this material. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, The Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Romans 2, 6, God will judge everyone according to what they have done. Colossians 3, 25, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There's no favoritism. Luke 12, 2, The time is coming when everything, everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known. Romans 2.16, the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the Lord will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. 
Young people, there used to be stores throughout the land called Blockbusters. We actually had to go there and rent movies on VHS cassettes and take them home and play them. Well, uh, I had done this one time. I returned a bunch of movies, and I was browsing throughout the store. Now, these stores would have TV monitors set up, and they were promoting whatever movie they had plugged in. So as I was browsing, I happened to glance up at the monitors, and I thought, hmm, the people in that movie look familiar to me. And I looked a little bit closer, and I said, you know, some of them look like members of my own family. And sure enough, they had one of my home movies playing up there in Blockbuster. What had happened was, as I returned my movies, I had accidentally inserted, right, a home movie that I had made with my big, remember the big VHS cameras? I had accidentally put one back in the Blockbuster box, and the employee just opened it up and popped it in. There was my, our home movies playing in Blockbuster which was embarrassing. But fortunately, it was only like a dance recital or something. Could have been a lot worse, right? Could have been a lot worse. Can you, but can you imagine? Now, here's the scene on the Day of Judgment. Everybody takes their turn, and the, our, our li the lives are splashed up there on the screen. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And the bad and the ugly, for all of us, far outweighs the good. Now, what's going to happen here? Why does that happen? Vindication. Two things are going to be absolutely evident. One is God in his judgment and in the punishments that he meets out, no unpunished crime goes unpunished for eternity. In other words, here in this, in our lives right now, our, our justice system is so corrupt, the, the, the person who kidnapped Adam Walsh and killed him was never caught and punished for that crime. Got away with it. One of thousands, hundreds of thousands. God is not going to allow that to stand forever. He's going to make sure every sin, every crime is punished appropriately and in the appropriate way. Uh, unjust suffering will be addressed. And secondly, it will also be very evident that those who are assigned to the lake of fire are getting exactly what they have earned and deserved. The Bible says every mouth will be closed. Nobody is going to be able to accuse God of being unfair or unjust. It'll be absolutely evident to all. Only God is qualified to make these kinds of judgments because of his omniscience. In fact, God can take into account what we would call extenuating circumstances. Not everyone gets punished the same way. Not even those who wind up in hell. There are degrees of punishment. It's pretty clear from the scriptures, Luke 12, 27 through 48, just a summary here. Jesus said, a servant who knows what his master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. You got severe punishments, you have light punishments. Jesus said to the citizens of Capernaum after he had preached there and done miracles and they still rejected him, he said to them, I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Some will be better off than others. Why would, why would Sodom be better off? Because they did not have access to the truth and the light and the evidence and the miracles that the, those in Capernaum did. So they are held to a stricter judgment. It's what theologian Jack Cottrell calls conscientious response to available light. That's what we're accountable for, our response to the light that we have had, the truth that we've had, the revelation that we have had. Of course, we in America, 
We in America, growing up with a church on every corner, we, we have the opportunity to hear the gospel all throughout our lives. We'll be held to a stricter standard. We'll be held to account more so than those who maybe did not have those opportunities. But all I'm saying here is we see the glory in his judgments. We see the glory of God's justice, his righteousness, his fairness. But more important than that, perhaps, especially to us, is the judgment of God reveals the glory of God's grace. The glory of God's grace. Verses 12 and verse 15, Revelation 20. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's a question. Will Christians go through the judgment? Yes, we will. We will go through the judgment. There sometimes is confusion about this. People say, well, Christians won't go through the judgment. Uh, for instance, this verse right here is sometimes misinterpreted. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. But the thing of it is, and we've got to harmonize some other verses here, this word will not be judged. The word judged often usually carries the connotation of a negative judgment. So it's more like to say they will not be condemned. They already have eternal life. And many versions of the Bible translate it that way, as does the New Living Translation, renders that same verse this way. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. But Christians clearly will go through this judgment process. Put a couple of scriptures out here before you. Romans 14, 10. Paul writes, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil that we have done in this earthly body. That's the first person, plural, we. When Paul says we will all, he said we Christians here in the Roman church, in the Corinthian church, and he's including himself, we will all be judged according to what we have done. So what's that all about? Steve, I thought we were saved by grace and not by works. Well, you probably know this, but by way of reminder, we are saved by grace and not by works. The judgment for Christians is not about determining our end state, whether we wind up in hell or whether we wind up in heaven. That's already been determined. It's already been determined. It's determined right here and right now. Right? The gracious offer of God, Jesus died on the cross. He took the equivalent of punishment in hell on our behalf so we would not have to experience that. He's told us the terms of grace, how we can get in on that. You believe the gospel, repent of your sin, confess Jesus as Lord. You're baptized into Christ, into the grace of God. Receive his forgiveness. Maintain your faith until you die. All right, that, that's where we are. So what's the judgment all about for Christians? Why are we going through this process? If I understand what the Bible teaches... The judgment for Christians is not to determine our eternal destiny. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather, it's to determine our rewards, our degrees of rewards. We'll either receive rewards or have rewards withheld based upon our works, our deeds, the quality of our kingdom work, the sacrifices that we have made, the service that we have given. The, uh, the financial support that we've given to the kingdom of God, storing up treasure in heaven, as Jesus called it. 
It's the degrees of reward, not our eternal state, that are determined. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul is talking there about working for the kingdom. And he says each man's work, each woman's work is tested by fire. And he compares some of it to gold, silver, and jewels. Other people's work is compared to wood, hay, and stubble. And it's burned up by the fire. So their works weren't any good. They didn't do much good for the kingdom. He says they're still saved. They're still saved, but they lose their reward. And some people enter into heaven, and their clothes smell like smoke. They just barely made it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because I know how you think. (laughs) I know how I think. Some of you are thinking, well, i got to tell you something. I'll be honest with you. I don't really care that much about the awards. As long as I make it in heaven, I'll be happy. If I don't get any awards, that's fine with me. I just want to make it. I understand that. I understand that. I feel that way a lot of times, too. I mean, truly, after our life has been displayed up there on the screens and the good and the bad and the ugly for us, we're all going to be so grateful for the grace of God because it'll be absolutely evident for, to everyone that no one deserved heaven. No one earned heaven. Every person who walks through those pearly gates is going to be characterized by gratitude and thankfulness to God. Thank you. Right? So I, I understand that. But I also think this. I don't think on Judgment Day we're actually going to be that cavalier about the whole rewards thing and the life that we have lived. A lot of graduation ceremonies going on right now. We have a lot of accomplished students that are graduating you know, who are members of this church and, and other places as well. I was thinking back on my college education experience. I will confess to you, I hate to admit this, I was not a good student. I was kind of a lazy student. I didn't apply myself. I didn't really learn to love learning until after I graduated from college. So I was mostly a BC student. I only made the dean's list one time in four years. And I thought, you know, so I was just having fun and, and um, I had kind of an auditory learner, so I could pick up a lot just by listening to the lectures. And like I said, I didn't really apply myself. And it didn't, I always felt like, so what? Until and every year we'd have our commencement exercises. We'd sit those, through those once a year for four years, and, and it would come time for the awards. And they'd start handing out, uh, they'd call people from the Honor Society, those who made the dean's list, the Greek award, the Hebrew award, the preaching award, the salutatorian, the valedictorian, other, other awards. And during those times, I really felt a twinge of regret. You say, you know what? I'd like to get one of those awards. Why didn't I try a little harder? Why, didn't I, why did I procrastinate? And my, my family would be there, and members from our church, and they, our church had a, a program where they supported students and people are investing in my education and others. And sometimes they come up to me afterwards, Steve, maybe next year we'll see you come up there and get some of those awards. And I say, yeah, maybe... Uh, And I was kind of embarrassed about that. And the reason I share that with you is because I I just wonder, when it comes time, this this great day of judgment, and our lives are put up there, are we not going to care what God thinks about how we lived our lives here? Wouldn't you rather hear God say to you, hey, I gave you a lot of opportunity." And you had a lot of education in the Bible. You really applied yourself. You learned, the, you learned my word, and you served, you ministered, you sacrificed, you gave, you influenced others. Well, you took everything I gave you, and you maxed it out, and you left nothing on the field. 
enter, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of your master. I, I've got some recognition for you. I've got some awards that I want to get you. Wouldn't you rather hear that than, hey, you just barely made it, didn't you? I gave you a lot of opportunity, but you, you didn't really do much with it. I mean, come on into heaven, but I don't have anything, I don't have anything else to reward you with. I think it'll make a lot more difference to us. I think we'll care about that maybe a lot more than sometimes we think we will. And the Bible offers this. The Bible offers this. This motivation to us right now. Just because we're saved by grace, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how we live, does it? God still wants us to repent of sin, be done with sin, take whatever measures we need to so that we can live holy lives and godly lives and lives of service and sacrifice and leadership and influence and max out all of our opportunities. But when it's all said and done, what I'm talking about here is the glory of God's grace. And, and aren't we all grateful for this, that there's another book? You got the book of what we've done. But we have chosen not to rely on that book, on our deeds and our works and our efforts to be acceptable to God. There's another book. And what we rejoice in is that our lives, our names are registered in the book of life. Father in heaven, as we think about judgment this morning, we, know we are all Christians. We, we really have nothing to fear of the judgment. Our eternal destiny is, is set right now. We know. Every person in this room knows or can know. We're either in Christ or out of Christ. We're either in your grace or out of your grace. We're either forgiven or, or, we're, or we're not. Or we're either in the church or out of the church. And we know. You've told us how to determine that. So we know where we're going, Lord. But we thank you for reminding us You've got even better things in store for us. And we want to serve you and please you and make you proud and serve you well in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray.